you haven't turned in your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to pick up uh, in Matthew's gospel where we left off several weeks ago. As we begin, I have to let you know that I love 80s power ballads. I'm a child of the 80s, so all of the, the love songs of the 80s by those rock bands with big hair and makeup and spandex and leather and spikes, those epic anthemic choruses that build, I love all of those songs. They're the soundtrack to my life, and I still listen to them. So you can feel sorry for my wife because I subject her to this music all the time. I listen to Spotify. I stream music not on Pandora because I get tired of telling Pandora, yes, I'm still listening. So several years ago, I switched to Spotify. And Spotify sent me an email last week and said, this was the number one song that you played the most all year long. And it was When I See You Smile by Bad English, if you remember that song. I love 80s power ballads. I played in an acoustic duo in Texas with the worship leader at the previous church that I was at, and we did acoustic covers of power ballads. We played a few places. I just love 80s power ballads. They make promises to their lovers in these songs, like I'll Never Let You Go by Steelheart. I Remember You, Skid Row. Love of a Lifetime by Firehouse, More Than Words by Extreme. All of these power ballads are full of promises, promises that these guys are making to these girls. I'll be there for you. I'll love you forever. I'll never let you go. And in my humble opinion, the number one power ballad of all time is Bon Jovi's song, I'll Be There For You. It's full of these promises to the significant other. And musically, the song is incredible, top to bottom. You've got this kind of little oriental lead that intros the song, and there's this modulation and this key change right at the point in, you, in the song when you think you just can't keep singing the same chorus over and over. They kick in that modulation, and there's a key change, and there's these incredible drum fills throughout, and the harmonies between John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora are Perfect, and the lyrics, I'm just going to quote a couple. You say you've cried a thousand rivers, and now you're swimming for the shore. I mean, lyrically, it's just a great song. <laughs> and I was jamming to it this morning, ironing my shirt, and Sephora, our five-month-old, was laying on the bed, and I'm just jamming out with my earbuds in, and I'm just doing, yeah. You know, in these drum fields, and she's just looking at me and smiling. She doesn't know this is, that this is not normal. This is just normal to her. So I'm just, I'm rocking out this morning to like this number one song because I love it. But I have one critique of I'll be there for you. And it's a very minor, very, very minor critique of the song because I love it. It's that in the song, John Bon Jovi, whoever he's singing to his wife, I assume, he's saying, I'll be there for you in the future. In the future, you can count on me. I'll be there for you. You're you're leaving me, because he says in the song, I heard your suitcase say goodbye. Great line. He's saying, I'll be there for you in the future. What I wish he would have said, though, was, I'm with you now. I'm here for you right now. I'm just not making a promise that I'm going to be there for you in the future. I'm here for you right now. It's like, oh, if John, if you would have sang that, you'd have the girl. She'd come running back. She wants to know that you're with her now, not that you'll be there for her in the future. 
All of these songs are full of promises from one lover to another. In the gospel, God promises to be with us now, not simply in the future. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is God's power ballad to his people, his children saying, I am with you now. Whatever is happening in your life, at whatever time in your life, what you need to know, what we all need to know, what the gospel says to all of us is this, God is with you. In the darkest times of your life, God is with you. In those moments when you feel like life is falling apart, God is with you. When you are so overwhelmed with life and you think that you just can't go on, God is with you. When you find yourself in situations that are just so overwhelming that you don't know what to do, where to begin, what to say, how to respond, and you just feel hopeless, and you maybe even feel like dying, God is with you. When you are at the end of your rope, Jesus is with you. And that is exactly what Joseph and Mary experienced when God dropped the bomb on them that Mary was pregnant with the eternal son of God. God dropped some news on Joseph and Mary that could have sent them over the edge. But God was with Joseph and Mary through it all, sustaining them, caring for them, and guiding them each step of the way. Let's read about that now. Look at verse 18 in Matthew chapter 1 and hear the word of the Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Remember several weeks ago, we saw that Jesus' family tree was littered with some pretty rotten scoundrels from the Old Testament. Murderers and rapists and adulterers and liars. So no sooner do we get over the shock of Jesus' family tree in verses 1 through 17, we get hit again by Matthew. Another shocker, another surprising aspect of God's ways. Mary gets pregnant during her engagement. This would have been big news back then when the news got out. The town gossips would have gobbled up this little bit of information and ran wild with it. Everybody in town would have been talking about the girl who got pregnant during the betrothal period. Now let me explain what's happening here because Matthew just assumes that We know who Mary is and what it meant to be betrothed to someone back then. Obviously, Matthew's original audience knew what betrothal was, but we have to fill in the gaps. According to Luke's gospel, Mary was a godly teenage girl. She she loved Yahweh, the sovereign Lord. She went to youth groups. She kept a journal. She had 
pimples. It took her four hours every morning to get ready for school. She spent a lot of time in front of the mirror getting her hair to look just right. She was on Instagram. She was just like every teenage girl. But she loved the Lord. So the situation surrounding her pregnancy stands in stark contrast with her character. Mary would have been the talk of the town when news of her pregnancy got out because everyone in her village knew that although she was a sinner like everyone else, they knew that Mary loved the Lord. So people would have been shocked that this God-fearing teenager got pregnant before marriage. But they also would have been shocked because she was betrothed to Joseph. Mary and Joseph weren't just high school sweethearts. They were betrothed to one another. So what did it mean to be betrothed in Mary's day? Betrothal was a custom whereby a young girl was engaged to a man, but it was more than an engagement. It would have been like being in between being engaged and getting married. It was more than engagement. It was a very serious thing. In fact, you would never break off a betrothal unless there was evidence of adultery on someone's part. And it appears, at least from Joseph's perspective, that this is exactly what happened. From Joseph's point of view, Mary had cheated on him. She had committed adultery because she got pregnant and Joseph wasn't involved in that process. So for Joseph... The worst thing in the world has happened to him. His girlfriend is pregnant and he knows that he's not responsible. So we have to fill in the gaps between verses 18 and 19. And the way I imagine it in my mind, it went something like this. Mary texted Joseph and told him to meet her at Starbucks. And they each got a peppermint mocha and they sat down. And the conversation between these two teenagers began, in my mind, maybe something like this. Mary says, I have something to tell you, and I don't know where to start. Don't freak out. Please don't freak out, okay? Joseph says, are you breaking up with me? Are you breaking up with me here in Starbucks? No, boo, I love you. I'm not breaking up with you. And Joseph says, whew. You scared me. Wow, my heart just sank down into my stomach. I thought you were going to tell me that you're breaking up with me. What a relief. (laughs) So what is it? Tell me. Mary says, I don't even know where to start. You're going to think I'm cray-cray. Totes cray-cray. Crazy. Okay, please don't freak out, okay? I won't. Just spit it out. What is it? I'm pregnant. Ha, 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 Joseph says, very funny, nice one. Pay me back for the time I videoed you with my iPhone when you were lip syncing to that song on the radio and you didn't think I was looking and I uploaded it to YouTube and everybody thought it was funny. Very funny, good one, Mo, way to get me back. Mary says, I'm serious. What? Huh? You, you can't be. We've never, but we've never, wait a minute, are, are you saying, did you cheat on me? No, I have not been with anyone at all. No, no, not that, boo. I love you. But how? This is impossible. You are cray-cray. And Mary says, Joseph, I know that it sounds crazy, but an angel appeared to me and said that the Holy Spirit would overshadow me, and by his power, I would become pregnant with the Messiah. 
I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. You have to believe me. I couldn't make this stuff up. Please, Joe, you have to believe me. I understand that you're confused, but I'm telling the truth. I love you, and I would never, I gotta go, Joseph says. I don't even, you're pregnant with the Messiah. Really? The Messiah. The Messiah that all the prophets spoke of. The Messiah, really? You expect me to believe that? I don't even know where to start. Are you serious? You expect me to believe this? Pregnant with the Messiah. I know all about the birds and the bees, Mary. I know how this works. Who is it? What's his name? Who did you cheat on me with? Tell me. I want to know. I'm going to wait, Mary says. I'm telling you the truth, boo. I promise. Please believe me. I would never do this to you. I would never do this to Yahweh. I would never want to offend my Lord. Please sit down. You have to believe me. I'm leaving, Joseph says. Goodbye. And if you are telling the truth, then why hasn't God sent me an angel, huh? I love Yahweh. Don't you think this earth-shattering news should also be told to me by an angel? This affects me too. Why hasn't an angel told me? Don't I deserve to hear it from the Lord? How am I to believe this? The Messiah. Really? Really, Mary? The Messiah? I, I just can't. I'm leaving. Goodbye, Mary. And now, verses 19 through 21 make more sense. Verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Well, I imagine Joseph was pacing the floor when he got home. I imagine he's crying. He's, he's freaking out. His girl is pregnant, and he knows that the child is not his because they have been pure. They have resisted temptation. And now this, how can this be? And I'm sure Satan was right there whispering in Joseph's ear that he should divorce Mary and put her away. I'm sure Satan wanted to do all that he could do to mess up God's plan. So I have no doubt that he was whispering into Joseph's ear, put her away, divorce her, don't let her ruin your reputation and destroy your character. But it was Joseph's character that kept him from shaming his sweetheart. Joseph was a God-fearing young man. He didn't want to crush his girl. He didn't want to heap shame on her. He loved Mary. But in his mind, she had been unfaithful to him. So he had to end the relationship. But he would do it in a way that demonstrated his character. So he just decided that he would end this quietly so as not to put Mary under any more scrutiny than she was already going to get. So right in the middle of this mess... Right in the middle of this high school drama, God sends his son, Jesus. Think about it. What is happening in these verses 
is the stuff of daytime talk shows. This is a page out of the Jerry Springer show. This is an episode of Maury Povich. This is the page, an episode of Dr. Phil. Maybe the reason that Joseph wanted to put Mary away quietly was because he did not want to have to go to court and go through divorce proceedings. Joseph did not want to go on Judge Judy. Can't you hear Judge Judy chewing Mary out? You're lying. I don't buy it. I know how this stuff works. Sir, be quiet. I'm not talking to you right now. You know, she always goes to the other person. They interrupt. I wasn't talking to you, sir. Miss, do you think I'm stupid? Do you? Answer me. Do you expect me to believe that you got pregnant by a miracle? Maybe that's why Joseph wanted to put Mary away quietly. He didn't want to have to go through these public divorce proceedings, especially if it meant appearing before a judge like Judge Judy. So right in the middle of this daytime talk show situation where there's debate about who got Mary pregnant, God brought the long-awaited Messiah, his son, his greatest gift, and he brought it right into this messy world. But it almost destroyed Joseph's life in the process. Joseph's life at this point was falling apart. It was coming apart at the seams because of God. Joseph's life was turning from a romantic comedy where guy meets girl and marries girl into a horror movie, all because of God, all because God was bringing his gift, his son, into this world. What this teaches us is that we are dealing with a God who does not play by our rules. We are dealing with a God who loves going against the odds. We are dealing with a God who loves doing weird, strange, bizarre, and queer things. We are dealing with a God who loves using messy situations that showcase his grace and his glory. So this passage is teaching us that God just might do something like this in our lives. What God did in Joseph's life, he might do in yours. He might do something very strange in your life. In the middle of your chaotic, overwhelming life, God might be, God is doing something good. Understand this, Grace. God does good things in our lives even when it looks like he isn't. Even when all the evidence is screaming at us that God is not working, God is not moving, he is always doing good things behind the scenes of our lives. When things get bleak and overwhelming, God is working behind the scenes to bring good things to his people. 
This is exactly how God redeems a broken world. He takes the mess. He takes the chaos. He takes the crazy, the out of control, the overwhelming, the late nights, the I can't sleep, the I can't eat, the I have no appetite, the I'm so stressed, the I'm pulling my hair out, the what in the world is going on, and he uses all of that to bring about redemption and to showcase his grace and his glory in this world. He takes the mess, grace, the chaos, the crazy, the out of control, the overwhelming, the late nights, the I can't sleep, the I can't eat, the I have no appetite, the I am so stressed, the I am pulling my hair out. The what in the world is going on? And he uses all of that to bring about redemption and to showcase his grace and his glory in this broken, messy world. That means then that your crazy, jacked up life and messed up family and overwhelming situations are the raw material that God uses to redeem this world. God uses the out-of-controlness of our lives as the raw material to bring good into our lives and to redeem this broken world and to showcase his grace and his glory. So could it be that something like this is happening in your life right now? Could it be that God is doing some crazy, out-of-this-world, bizarre thing in your life right now during the holidays? You don't know what's happening. You don't know what's going on. You don't know why things are happening the way that they are. You don't know how you'll make it through. But God might be setting you up for one of his good gifts. He did this with Mary and Joseph. Mary got a bomb dropped on her by the Lord. But God was setting her up and setting the rest of the world up for his greatest gift, his son, Jesus Christ. Joseph got a bomb dropped on him by the Lord. But it was God setting Joseph and the rest of the world up for his greatest gift, his son, Jesus. Could it be that what is overwhelming you today is just God setting you up to bring more goodness into your life? Could it be that you were going through the darkest time in your life, the most overwhelming time where you don't even know what to do, you don't even know what to say in a situation, and behind the scenes, God is busy working to bring you good, to bring you good through the chaos, through the stress, through the overwhelming situations. You can't separate your Savior from your suffering. You can't separate Christ from your chaos. You can't separate the Messiah from your mess. You can't separate your Savior from your suffering grace. You can't separate Christ from your chaos. You can't separate the Messiah from your mess. You can't separate Jesus from your suffering, from your messed up family, from your crazy life, your hectic schedule, from your jacked up church family. Jesus is there right in the middle of your mess because that's where he likes to be. You may not see it, 
But this passage teaches us that God is working behind the scenes of the craziest situations that we find ourselves in. And he is working to bring us good, to bring us good gifts, namely to bring us his son. And one of the good gifts that he brings to us through the chaos is his presence. Because trials and overwhelming situations are designed by God to drive us into the arms of his son. And that's why what's happening in your life right now is happening because God wants you to realize that you have not moved beyond grace, that you are weak and that you desperately need him. And what he wants you to do is to see that, to come face to face with that truce, with that mess, with that chaos, and then to run into the arms of his son. That's the good that he's doing behind the scenes ultimately is that in the midst of your chaos, you would run to him. And isn't that where you want to be in the middle of your chaos? So all of the trials and the difficult situations, all of the broken relationships that we face, they're actually proof that God is with us even when we don't see him. He's bringing good into our lives even when all hell breaks loose. It's all proof that even when you don't see him, God is with you. And God in his grace finally did come to Joseph in a dream. I imagine Joseph was so overwhelmed with the news that Mary, his high school sweetheart, was pregnant and that he wasn't the father. That when Joseph got home, he paced the floor for a while. He turned on his iPod. He put in his earbuds or if he got new beats for Christmas. And he laid down on his bed and he eventually fell asleep. And that's when God dispatched an angel to make sure that all went as planned. That's when God told one of his angels, one of my children needs to know that I am with him. Go remind him. Go tell Joseph that I have it all under control and that I am with him in the middle of this crazy situation. Look again at verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And just like that, Joseph got what he wanted, what he needed. An angel appeared to him in a dream and comforted him that Mary was indeed pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit and not by some jock on the football team. And right then, Joseph sighed a sigh of relief and he learned the sex of the baby, what the baby's name would be, and how his son would save God's people from their sins, save even Joseph and Mary from their sins. And in one sense, Joseph is lucky because he was told what the baby's name would be. He didn't have to get out a book of baby names and search through those. He didn't have to search the internet or tell Mary that he liked the name Darkon from the book of Ezra only to have Mary shoot it down. 
God gave them the name. But it was a very common name. Jesus' name is Joshua in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it's Joshua, Yahashua. So this is a very common name. Lots of little Israelite boys were running around named Joshua or Jesus. Mary and Joseph couldn't pick a name from the trendiest names of the year because the name was given by God. But Mary and Joseph could not have chosen a better name for the Messiah. They couldn't have picked a better name. Why? Because the name Jesus, it's Joshua in Hebrew, means Yahweh is salvation. Their baby boy was the Messiah, the long-awaited Redeemer who would save God's people from their sins. And this was the hope of every Israelite. They were looking forward to this. They knew Genesis 3.15 promised a Redeemer who would come and crush the head of the serpent, crush the head of the snake, crush the head of Satan, the devil, and he would save God's people. And that promise in Genesis 3.15 was the fountain that Old Testament saints drank from. It gave them hope, and it gave Mary and Joseph hope. They knew that there was one coming who would not just tell them how to get to heaven. He would come and say, heaven has come down to you. I've come to redeem you, to save you, and I will do it all by myself. And Jesus would do it through his perfect life, a perfect life lived in total and complete obedience to God's law. Mary and Joseph just didn't know that it would all come through their family. But they knew the promise of Genesis 3.15. And they certainly knew Isaiah chapter 7. Matthew tells us that this whole crazy episode that revolved around two pimple-faced teenage high school sweethearts was actually prophesied about many, many years before by the prophet Isaiah. Look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Imagine that. There's no intimacy between Mary and and Joseph, no intimacy after they were married until she gave birth. That's proof that God was with Joseph, and that's all I'm going to say about that. We don't have time to get into all that there is to discuss in Isaiah 7, but the context is one where Isaiah is prophesying during the reign of King Ahaz. Ahaz was a wicked king. He did not worship Yahweh. He worshiped and sacrificed to pagan gods. You can read about Ahaz in 2 Kings chapter 28. And Isaiah prophesied and told King Ahaz that a day was coming when the Assyrian army would pounce on Judah and almost decimate it. But God promised to send a child during this time who would be a sign, a sign of his faithfulness to his people. And the name of the child would be Emmanuel, God with us. This is what Isaiah and the God-fearing people in his day were clinging to. They were clinging to the promise that God would be with them. And as the nation of Assyria trampled on Judah and all seemed hopeless, they had a promise, they had a sign that they could hold on to. God is with us, Emmanuel. And isn't that the way it is always for God's people? 
We always cling to promises. We always cling to God's promises. Certainly Joseph and Mary will need the assurance of Emmanuel, God with us, because in chapter two, King Herod wants to kill their child. Joseph and Mary will need the promise of Emmanuel, God with us, in chapter two, because the most powerful person in the entire world at that time, King Herod, will put a bounty out on their baby boy's head. So Joe and Mo need this promise of Emmanuel. And isn't that the way it always is for God's people all the time? God with us is all that holds us up when we feel like life is going to swallow us up. Emmanuel, God with us. One name in the Hebrew language, Emmanuel. Translated with three simple English words, God with us. It can give you hope this Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. One name in the Hebrew language, Emmanuel, translated with three simple words into the English language, God with us, can give you all the hope that you need this Christmas. In the darkest time of your life, let's make it personal, Emmanuel, God is with you. In those moments when you feel like life is falling apart, Emmanuel, God is with you. When you are so overwhelmed with life and you think you just can't go on, Emmanuel, God is with you. When you find yourself in situations that are just so overwhelming that you don't know what to do, where to begin, what to say, how to respond, and you just feel hopeless and you may even feel like dying, Emmanuel, God is with you. When you are at the end of your rope, Emmanuel, Jesus, God is with you. And what I love about the name Emmanuel is that it is made up of three parts in the Hebrew language. Emmanuel is composed of the Hebrew preposition im, which means with, and affixed to the Hebrew preposition im, with, is the first common plural pronominal suffix. And then the name el, which means God, gets attached to the end. So it's Emmanuel. The preposition im means with. Anu is the first common plural pronominal suffix. It means us, and the name El means God. Im, Anu, El. Im, Anu, El. With us, God. With us, God. And the Hebrew grammar may be confusing or boring to you, but I geek out over it. It may be confusing or boring to you, but it's one of the most beautiful words in Hebrew. And it just might be what you need for Christmas this year. Maybe the thing that you need for Christmas is a Hebrew preposition and the Hebrew first common plural pronominal suffix. And when you take a Hebrew preposition and you attach the Hebrew first common plural pronominal suffix to it and then you attach to it God's name, what you get is a Hebrew promise that God is with you. God is with you, Grace. Sometimes... That's all you have, but it's all you need. God is with you. Sometimes it's all you have, but it's all you need. Emmanuel, 
God with us. It's not just some theology. It's not just some doctrine. It's not just a name that is composed of a Hebrew preposition and the Hebrew first common plural pronominal suffix attached to the name of God. It's more than that. It's a person, Grace. It's Jesus. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And that might be just enough to get you through whatever it is that you're going through today. Jesus is with you right here, right now. And sometimes all you can do is just keep saying, over and over again, God is with me. 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 And I did that several weeks ago. There was a situation that I was dealing with in my life, and I had to keep saying to myself over and over again, God is with me. God is with me. God is with me. God is with me. I recommend you try it the next time that you are overwhelmed. I recommend you try it the next time you can't sleep at night because of what is going on in your life. I recommend you try it the next time that you can't eat, the next time you have no appetite whatsoever because what is happening in your life has your stomach all up in knots. I recommend you try saying this over and over again. I recommend you tell yourself the good news, that you look in the mirror at yourself and you say to yourself, God is with you. 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 You tell yourself, you preach to yourself, God is with you. That's a promise from Jesus. And the promise is Jesus himself. Alec Motier says this. Promises, promises, we say, mockingly, when we know or suspect that the promise is not going to be kept. But when the Lord makes promises, he means them. He means to keep them, and he means his people to trust them as they plan the future. He looks to us to obey his commands. He looks to us to trust his promises, Since it is through faith in the Lord's promises that we are saved, then surely if faith is mighty to solve the great and eternal problem of our sinfulness, alienation, and helplessness, is it not the way to tackle every problem? To look up to our almighty, ever-loving God and say, I trust you. Have you put your trust in Christ today for salvation We're all born sinners and rebels. We're separated from God because of our sin. We have broken his law and therefore we are broken. We're the ones who are broken. And we deserve to be punished for eternity. But God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, who took the curse of the law upon himself on the cross and he died in our place Absorbing the wrath of God against our sin and it was poured out on him. He died in our place for our sins in order to bring us to God. And God raised him from the dead and he's coming back again to judge the world. Are you ready to meet him? You can be if you just cry out today, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And if you have already done that and you are a Christian, you are his child, then trust him today. You have already trusted him for your greatest problem, 
your sin. You trusted him to solve the great and eternal problem of your sinfulness, your alienation from God, and your helplessness. Is that not then the way to tackle whatever you're facing today? To believe him? To trust him? To look up to your almighty, ever-loving father and say, I trust you. I trust you. You can look up to God in the middle of your mess and say, I trust you. You can do that because God is with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. You did not leave us to ourselves in our brokenness and our rebellion and in our sinfulness, but you came to us. You took the initiative. You made the first move. And you did that by sending your son, Jesus. For people here who don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would make them alive right now. Open their eyes to see their sin, to see your holiness, and to see the provision in your son, Jesus. For those of us who are your children, God, who have put all of our eggs in the basket of Jesus and saying, I trust him for my eternal fate. Would you help us to do that in the overwhelming big things of our life? If we can trust him for eternity, God, help us to look up to you and say, I trust you. Do it so that you can showcase your grace and your glory in this broken world. In Jesus' name, amen.